Thank you so much, choir. Well done. Before 
uh, we get the little ones up here for our penny march. Uh, we need to do some Sunday school awards and prizes. For those of you who may be visiting with us, uh, every quarter, every three months, we give out some little gift cards and some little cash prizes to our Sunday school kids um, uh, in recognition for the points that they've earned uh, during our Sunday school. So we like to do this, give them a little bit of spending money to go to McDonald's or to the dollar store. So we'll start with our littlest class, uh, uh, which is our Minds in Motions class. Uh, we've got two $10 awards uh, for these two youngsters, Jace Martin and Miranda. Miranda here, come on down, Miranda. Good job, Jace. Uh, turn around, look at that. Look at Brother Danny up there. Come on, Mar is Miranda here? She's trying to get out. She's stuck. Um, stay right there, Jace. Come on, Miranda. Come on, baby girl. I know you can do it, honey. There you go. There you go, doll baby. Stand up here beside Jace. Stand right up there. Aren't you cute? All right, look up here at Brother Danny. He's still taking. Hold on. Look up at Brother Danny. Smile big. That's Brother Danny up there. I'm not Brother Danny. Now you got it. Good job. Give a round of applause. Y'all can be seated, guys. You're done, baby. <laughs> All right. Our next class is our soldiers bound for glory. Uh, Josh and Jesse teach this class in third place. Uh, winner of $10, Josh Roar. Come on down here, Josh. Second place, $15, Jake Turner. Nope, not here. All right, stand right there, Eric George, buddy. First place, $25, Olivia Brown. Is Olivia here? Come on, Miss Olivia. You go, Olivia. Good job. Stand right there. Turn around look at Brother Danny. Out of way to be taller than that boy. Good job. All right, good job, good job. And for our next class, Prayer Warriors, third place, $10, Amber Roar. Come on, Amber. Second place, $15, Cameron Gilbert. First place, $25, Peyton Horsley. Three girls, boys, you better step up here. Come on. There you go, Amber. Step up here, darling. Cameron and Peyton. Boy, this is a powerful female trio right there. Good golly, Miss Molly. Yeah, I heard you say yeah. All right. And then for our teenagers, we do a little something different. We put money in their individual accounts, and this help pay, helps pay for ten, teen conference uh, and the individual activities that we do throughout the year. So uh, we do the top nine because we thank the Lord. We've got so many teens and young adults. So uh, I'll just uh, ask you all to stand. No, I'm going to ask you all to come down. Amen. Third place, we got Abigail, Craig, Nick, Horsley, and Brooke Roar. Come on down. Each of them get $15. Come, come, come. Quick, quick, quick. Yeah, I know a couple of them are in the nursery. Amen. Stand right there, Brooke. Second place, uh, $30. Kara Helbert, Allison Kitzmiller, D. Souter. Come on, come on, come on. Easy on that enthusiasm, guys. I'm telling you. You've been out of school for three days. Come on, let's go. First place, $50, Amber Mize, Amber Martin, and Michaela Carroll. Come on, y'all. All girls, except for Nick, who's in the nursery. Dude, y'all got to step it up here. 
Look at, look at brother. Y'all going to have to. Don't look at me. Look up there at him. Scoot in like you like each other. Fake it if you have to. You're in church. Yeah. I know looking at Brother Danny's painful. I get it. I understand. But look at him. All right. Good job. Give them a round of applause, folks. All right, now let's get all the little ones. If you're heading to children's church, junior church, come on, make your way down. we got to replenish the money we just gave out. So if you've got any change, they're going to come around and collect loose change you've got. We call this our penny march. Uh, uh, you take off this morning, guys. so much. I love seeing all these youngins. Blesses my heart. Thank you so much. Easy for me to say. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it uh, this morning for all of your help. Quick announcements. Now, reminder, no services this evening. Of course, we have the homegoing service uh, this afternoon for Brother Curtis Ratliff. Choir will be singing. We begin at 2 o'clock with a burial to follow. So uh, no evening services tonight. And, of course, we'll put that out on our call system. For those of you who have cell phones uh, and that are registered for our call system, you may have gotten the text. That's a new feature that we started. Uh, we were able to start yesterday. I uh, want to let you know that that will continue. Uh, I think that's an 
easier way for some of you, certainly for me as well. So uh, when you got the 888 number, it was not some prank call. That's the reason I said Pastor Greg here. Um, I had three people come up to me this morning and say, Pastor, was that really you? That was really me. <laughs> Uh, but that, that, that's uh, to just keep that in mind, if you would. And then uh, also a reminder, if you have not signed up to help us with the meals for the Cornerstone Baptist College, sign-up sheet is here. We sure appreciate that. Uh, we were scheduled for choir practice tonight. That will be postponed till next Sunday. And if you're planning on participating with us, you're a faithful member of our church, we'd love to have you. If you'd let me know that you're coming, we'll make sure we've got a book ready for you. Keep that in mind, if you would. And then uh, next Sunday morning, uh, during the Sunday school hour, there will be a birthday breakfast for Miss Renee, teen room, beginning at 9.30 a.m. in the teen room. Then I will have the uh, teen boys and the men from my Sunday school class downstairs uh, uh, during the Sunday school hour, beginning at 9.30. And I want to call your attention to a couple of date changes uh, that are in your bulletin. Uh, uh, we had to postpone by a couple of weeks our Ladies' Jubilee and our homecoming. So I want you to note those are two weeks later than what they normally are. That's because of my crazy schedule, Miss Kyla's schedule, trying to work all of that out. So those dates have been rescheduled. So please, please, please note that uh, as we get closer to it. All right. Uh, thank you so much, fellas. Come on, make your way down this morning. Brother Ken, you come get ready to sing for us. Uh, you mind the Lord with his tithes and your offerings. Uh, we're going to pray. And ask God to bless us today. Lord, it's with gratitude that we participate in this part of the service. We're honored to give back that which with which you've blessed us. Lord, bless the offering today. Everyone that gives, uh, may the name of Jesus be magnified and glorified in Christ's name. Amen. You know, this morning I'm not for sure exactly what you may be facing. You may be going through the hardest trial of your life right now. But uh, I don't, Lord laid this song on my heart this morning. I hope I can get through it. I normally don't sing this one. It's uh, once usually reserved maybe for a congregation or something. But once you hear it, I'm sure you'll be familiar with it. It's an old classic. I pray it'll touch your heart, maybe help you out. Maybe while you're going through this trial, you know, God oftentimes will send a song by your way, kind of pick up your spirits. I hope he'll get you to the place where you can say, it is well with your soul.
all stand together one more time this morning. Turn to hymn number 55. Page number 55, we'll have a song of fellowship. When the roll is called up yonder, we'll do the first verse of course. Shake hands for a little while. Page number 55.
John chapter number 8 in your Bibles this morning, please. John chapter number 8. While you're turning there, I'm going to give you another prayer request. I've gotten permission to share with you. Pray for Sister Sarah Lawson. Uh, she also has received a cancer diagnosis. Uh, so pray for Sister Sarah as she begins her treatments as well. John chapter number 8, please. We're going to re begin reading in verse number 2. And then we will read down this morning uh, through verse number 11. I have to tell you, this is, I have so many favorites, but this is absolutely one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I love to preach out of this passage. I love to talk about some of the meanings behind it, and I think every time I look at it, I see something a little bit different. The Lord illuminates, <clears throat> and some of that I hope to be able to share with you today. John chapter number 8, we're going to begin reading now in verse number 2. Let's look together. John 8, beginning in verse number 2. Early in the morning, he came again, the he there is Christ, into the temple, and all the people came unto him. He sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This said they, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Jesus, When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee she said no man lord and jesus said unto her neither do i condemn thee go and sin no more father thank you for this passage of scripture thank you for this beautiful beautiful story lord as we deliver the outline the message that i believe you've laid upon our hearts today i pray that you'd empower it Lord, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One uh, comes down and imparts uh, conviction. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would do just that very thing. Lord, that you would use the words from my lips today to convict hearts of the need of salvation. And Lord, to draw those of us that are saved closer to you today. Lord, I pray that I'd not say anything that doesn't need to be said, but would say everything that you want said. Lord, forgive me of any unconfessed sin that I might be a vessel that could be used of you. We'll thank you and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. 
A merry heart doeth good like medicine. Amen. So a police officer was sitting on the side of the interstate uh, with his radar set up. He noticed uh, a car approaching him unbelievably slow. In fact, as this car goes by this 70 mile per hour zone, he clocks the car going an astonishing 18 miles per hour. Thinking that something has got to be wrong, he turns his lights on and gets in behind the car, the car and pulls them over. He gets out. Uh, much to his astonishment, uh, as the driver rolls down the window, he sees a car full, one in the front uh, driver's seat, one in the passenger seat, and three in the back, a car full of nuns. He looks over at the driver and says, Sister, is everything all right? The nun says, Well, yes, officer, everything is fine. Why? He says, Well, ma'am, I clocked you going only 18 miles per hour. The sister looks up, the nun looks up and says, and there's a problem with that? The officer says, well, ma'am, the speed, the speed limit here is 70 miles per hour. The nun looks astonished and says, well, officer, I saw sign after sign after sign that said 20. That's why I'm going 18 miles per hour. Suddenly it dawned on the police officer what had happened. And he begins to laugh. He says, oh, ma'am. We've got things a little bit mixed up here. You're on Interstate 20. All the signs that you see are not the speed limit that's telling you what interstate you're on. You're on Interstate 20. The nun begins to laugh. She says, let me get this straight. These signs that I keep seeing, that's not the speed limit? He said, no, ma'am. In fact, uh, the speed limit here is 70. She said, officer, thank you so much. You have saved us so much time. He bends down to wish the nuns a good day when he notices that the nun in the passenger seat and the three in the back are white-faced, holding on to the back of the seat with looks of sheer terror on their faces. Once again, he looks at the driving nun and says, ma'am, are these ladies okay? The nun says, oh, they're fine. We just exited off of Interstate 195. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> Amen. That's my kind of nun driving right there. <clears throat> there are moments in Scripture that stand out as wonderful, while there are some that are certainly terrifying. This particular instance is one that very few face, such as this woman. In fact, this woman is on the verge of literally being executed uh, by stoning. Everything, however, for this woman changes when she's literally thrown in front of the only one who has the power to forgive her. By help of the Holy Spirit this morning, I want to give you a message that I've entitled From the Rocks to the rock of ages, from the rocks to the rock of ages. I want to share with you this morning that what this woman received in Christ's day is still very much available in our day. The forgiveness, the life-changing power, the totally transformation that this woman received is still very much a reality for those of us who place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Three things that we'll look at today. 
Number one, I want you to note with me that in this story, we see a condemned sinner. She is a condemned sinner. I want to be very clear this morning. I want to be very blunt because I don't want anyone thinking that I'm trying to sugarcoat anything. Beyond any shadow of a doubt, this woman was a sinner. What is her sin? Well, the scripture defines it for us. In fact, the Bible says that this woman was taken, caught in the very act of adultery. We're adults in here today. You understand that scripturally, adultery is any sexual expression outside of the confines of marriage. And in biblical days, it would also be outside the confines of an espousal. So this woman, whether she was engaged to be married or whether she was married, she had been caught in a sexual act that was not with her husband. Adultery, as the scripture defines it. I want to be clear, uh, this sin is a horrible sin. Uh, it changes lives, uh, it destroys homes, uh, and it destroys marriages. But may I pause just a moment uh, and remind all of us uh, that as wicked and as vile as this sin is, uh, it is no worse than any other sin. We do a good job at Independent Fundamental Baptist Churches uh, of pigeonholing uh, and categorizing sins. Uh, and seemingly everybody else's sin is worse than our sin. But can I remind us uh, that sin is sin in God's eyes. Uh, there's no degree or levels of sin. Uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. She was a sinner, but she was no worse a sinner than anyone else in this building. Her sin. I want you to also notice her shame. This is an unusual picture that is displayed here. An unusual tableau, if you will. As the Lord Jesus is there seated on the ground as a rabbi, beginning to talk as was his custom in the temple, instructing folks on the capacities of the Old Testament. When suddenly there is all kinds of commotion, perhaps from the back of the temple, Suddenly, uh, I believe that the Lord stops uh, and he notices uh, as the Pharisees uh, and the scribes uh, begin dragging this woman in uh, and deposit her literally at the feet of Jesus. The Bible says that she was taken in the very act of adultery. I'm reading between the lines just a little bit because I don't believe this woman was allowed to fix herself. I don't believe she was allowed to dress appropriately. I don't believe she was allowed to make herself presentable. I believe that the scribes and the Pharisees perhaps brought her in in a state of undress, certainly in a state that was not fit for the tabernacle, and literally her shame is on full display. I'll remind all of us. We said amen to the fact that we're all sinners, uh, but can I also remind all of us, and I hope I'll get another amen, uh, that sin inevitably produces shame. Sin inevitably uh, will be discovered. Uh, sin inevitably will be revealed. Uh, and almost inevitably, uh, humiliation will accompany that reveal. In this age of social media, you understand uh, that we can't hide anything anymore. There used to be a day where folks could try to cover up, but what you think is covered up is now on Snapchat, Facebook, and Instagram. Sin produces shame. Sin produces humiliation. We can't hide it. We can't disguise it. The Bible is very clear. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever man soweth. That shall he also reap. Her sin, her shame, her sentence. Her sentence. If you'll go back and you'll look at Scripture, 
you will find that what the scribes say about this woman is 100% correct. In fact, look at verse number 5 for just a moment, if you would. The Bible says, Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. I need to pause just a moment and say that the accusers are 100% correct. So that you'll know I'm not making that up. Would you please put your bookmarker there? And turn back with me for just a moment to the book of Deuteronomy. Turn back to the book of Deuteronomy, if you would. Chapter number 22. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 22, we have the commandment, the law of Moses, regarding those who are taken up in adultery. These accusers are not bringing up false charges. These accusers are not even bringing up a false sentence. There's no arguing the fact that this woman was taken in adultery. And there's no arguing the fact uh, that consequently her shame was such that she could be executed on the spot. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22. Notice what it says. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then they shall both of them die. Both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away evil from Israel. Do you, would you say amen to the fact that this woman's life is at risk because of her sin? Would you also say amen to the fact that there's a missing part here? Would you also say amen to the fact that something is just a little bit awry in this story? Because if I'm reading this correctly, and I believe I am, it is not just the woman whose life is to be taken. Both the man and the woman were to be executed. The man and the woman were to be stoned. And I'm not trying to be funny or cute, but you understand that a woman cannot commit adultery by herself. It still takes two to tango even then. So that you'll know I'm not making it up, go back again, if you would, to Leviticus, chapter number 20. Deuteronomy is actually a restatement of Leviticus 20. So go back to Leviticus 20 for just a moment, please. Look at verse number 10. Again, this is the law. This is to keep the Israelites pure, but it's also a mirror to remind them of their need of a Savior. Look, if you would, at Leviticus chapter 20. Verse number 10, the first statement of this law says, If a man and the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So I say to you again that the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees were 100% correct when they say that this woman's life is to be taken, she's to be stoned, she's to be executed. What they don't realize is that they have just brought her to the one who can forgive her. Let's pause for just a moment. In their desire to humiliate her, and as you're going to see in just a moment, in their desire to trap Jesus... They've brought her to the one, and I say the only one, who's got the power and the, the, the ability to forgive her of the very accusation that's been correctly made against her. 
Can I pause just a moment? Uh, you said amen to the fact uh, that we're all sinners. Say amen again. You said amen to the fact uh, that because of our sin, uh, we're destined uh, to be ashamed. We're destined for hell. Say amen to that. Uh, but would you also say amen to that, to the fact that thank God for the day uh, when we were deposited uh, at the feet of the only one who's got the power to forgive us, uh, that we came face to face with the one who's not going to condemn, uh, for he didn't come into the world uh, to condemn. He came into the world to save. Amen. There is... This morning, in this particular story, a condemned sinner. But notice number two. Not only is there a condemned sinner, there is also a cruel scheme. Go back to John, if you would please, chapter 8. Hope you put your bookmarker there. Look at verse number 6. It is incredibly telling why the Pharisees have done what they've done. Verse number 6 says, This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. This they said, tempting her, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. I want to pause just a moment and explain to you what is their reasoning. You see... At this particular point in the ministry of Jesus, his popularity has begun to spread. He is looked at as more than just a miracle worker. And there are those who are now beginning to follow him. Those who are beginning to believe that he is indeed the Son of God and the prophesied Messiah. And now the religious order that has been set up by the Pharisees and the hierarchy of the Jews is now at risk. So they are constantly coming up with ideas and schemes where they can trick him and so do away with his preaching. Here's their thought. When they ask the question that they say in verse number 5, but what sayest thou, he's got two answers. He's got two choices in their mind. He can say, number one, I condemn her. The law of Moses is correct, and I give you permission to kill her. And so they could pick up their stones and begin throwing but in so doing, he's just broken the law of Rome because the Jews cannot condemn someone to death. Only the Roman authorities can do that. So if he says that the law of Moses is correct killer, he can be arrested for inciting a riot and allowing an execution to take place that was not sanctioned by the Roman government. What's the other option? The other option is for her to, him to say, let her go. He can then be charged as being easy on sin and could be arrested by the Jewish authorities for violating the Jewish law. In their minds, they've got him. In their minds, they've got him in a no-win situation. He can't say, let her go. He can't say, kill her. In their minds, the Pharisees have trapped Jesus. Can I pause just a moment? And point out something, they couldn't give one flying flip about the girl they've just sat down in front of Jesus. They couldn't care one little iota about the sinner who's there crying and asking and pleading to put some clothes on, if you will. They could not care one iota about the one who needed Christ the most. Fast forward 2,000 years, 
and Pharisees haven't changed much. They go by all different kinds of names today, uh, but you mark it down, friend. A Pharisee uh, is someone who's concerned more about the rules than they are the sinner. A Pharisee is one who's concerned more about the traditions than they are the men and women who are going to hell. Would you listen to me this morning? Yes, we need standards, and yes, we need decorum, but I submit to you this morning that the greatest need we have is still the blood of Jesus. The greatest preaching we have is that Jesus came into this world to seek and to save that which is lost. The greatest need we have is that there was a Son of God who hung on the cross and was buried, but three days later was resurrected resurrected and now sits at the right hand of the father uh, ever making intercession they didn't care one little bit about that little sinner sitting at the feet of Jesus why their cruel scheme was such that they hoped to attack him to trap him what they didn't understand is they weren't dealing with any ordinary man What they didn't understand is they weren't dealing with an ordinary rabbi. They were dealing with the king of kings. We go from their reasoning to his response. I have read this countless times. I've preached out of this several times. But in studying this out two weeks ago, refreshing my memory... The Lord allowed me to see something through reading some fantastic commentaries that I just never noticed. Look, if you would, please, at his response. Go with me now to verse number 7. Oh, go back to verse 6. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped. You may say, Pastor, what's the big deal? It's a really big deal. And I'm ashamed that I never saw it before. In standing, Jesus is in a place of authority. If he were to sit, uh, as we read about in verse number 2, that's the sign of a rabbi, the sign of an instructor, letting folks know that he was about to discuss some spiritual importance uh, with them. But he's not standing. He's not sitting. He stoops. And now he's on the same level as the sinner. (laughs) Think about that. Now he's on the same level as the sinner. He literally goes to where she is. I, I can just imagine that for the first time... He looks into her eyes, and she looks into his eyes, and she doesn't see a spirit of condemnation. She sees a spirit of forgiveness. He stoops, and he gets on her level. He gets down where the sinner is, placing himself not in a position of authority, but placing himself so that he now identifies with the very one they thrust at his feet. They continue to ask. They continue to berate. What sayest thou? What sayest thou? What sayest thou? Notice what he does. While stooped on the level with the sinner, Jesus says in verse 6, the Bible says Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Jesus wrote with his finger 
in the dust on the ground as though he heard them not. I'd like to read between the lines, if I may. I don't believe at this moment he was making eye contact with the Pharisees. His heart wasn't on the Pharisees. His heart was on the sinner. I believe he's making eye contact with a little lady that's just been deposited at his feet. And so he begins to write on the ground. I can't begin to tell you the volumes that have been written and the commentators that have said what he could have written. Here's some very deep theology. Get this. We have no idea what he wrote. But let me tell you what he may have written. Maybe he wrote out the commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I don't think he did that. That would probably have incited the Pharisees to say, yeah, that's right. Maybe he wrote out the verse in Deuteronomy 20 and Leviticus 21 regarding the punishment for adultery. But again, I don't think that was the case because they would have again and said, yeah, that's right. Tell her, tell her, tell her. But whatever he wrote brought conviction on the hearts of the Pharisees. Go back and look at our text for just a moment. you got to see this. Notice verse 7. When they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And then in verse 8, again he stooped down. And wrote on the ground. And notice verse 9. And they which heard it. Being convicted. By their own conscience. What he wrote. And what he said. Brought conviction. When he says to them. You that are without sin. You can cast the first stone. I'm going to kind of transfigure that. In a way that will make sense to us. He says to them, you're exactly right. We can stone her, but let's do it right. Let's do it correctly as is outlined in the law of Moses. You that saw her, you that caught her, and have never been engaged in this yourself, you cast the first rock. You that are in a state of sinlessness and have never been engaged in this kind of behavior in any way, shape, or form, and you caught her, you throw the first rock. There's one preacher that I love to read after who said maybe, just maybe, Jesus was writing out the names of the ladies that them Pharisees had been lusting after. I don't know that to be the case. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus was saying things or writing out things that would remind them that they were in no position to cast stones against her. So one by one, you hear clunk, 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 clunk. Can I pause just a moment? And my fellow Baptists, may I say to you this morning, it is high time we drop our stones. We have, we've, we have specialized in spiritual stone throwing. 
Someone comes to the church looking for some spiritual help and we pick up our spiritual stones and we talk about this one that did this and that one that did that. May I remind you this morning that it is high time that we drop our spiritual stones because if they're here seeking for help, they've come to the right place. His response. Notice number three this morning. We go from a cruel or a condemned sinner, a cruel scheme to number three, a complete salvation. There is no doubt that after this woman encountered Jesus, she was different. There is no doubt that after she met the master, she left a different creature. How do we know? There's a couple of key indicators that let us know. Notice, if you would, please, in verse number 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself and said unto her, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, what's the word there, church? Woman. If you write in your Bibles, I encourage you to underline that. It's a key point. Again, we need to know the culture. We need to understand the symbology of the day. Today, if you come up to a lady and you say, hey, woman, you're liable to get your teeth knocked in. But you have to understand that there's only three times in Scripture where Christ refers to a lady as woman. The other two were to his mother Mary. At the marriage of Cana, when Mary comes to Jesus and says, is it time, is it time for you to show yourself? He refers to her as woman. Then at the cross of Calvary, Jesus is being nailed to the cross. And he looks at John and he looks at his mother Mary and he says, woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother, entrusting the care of his mother to John. In Christ's day, the, the phrase translated here, woman, is a term of endearment. It's like we would say, ma'am. It's a term of respect. It was his way of letting her know he wasn't talking to an adulteress. He's speaking to a lady. Let's just pause for a moment right there and shout for about an hour. I can promise you uh, this woman had been called a lot of things. I can promise you uh, that on route from the house where she was picked up uh, to the place where she was deposited, uh, she had been mourned, she'd been scoffed, uh, she'd been made fun of, uh, and I promise you she'd been called a lot of things. But at this moment, uh, the very king of kings calls her a lady. She arrives, a wicked, godless woman, but he turns her into a lady. That moment... Her life changed. Why? Because Jesus faced her. Not only did he face her, he forgave her. He forgave her. What does he say? Look, if you would, please, at the same verse. Uh, verse uh, uh, jump down, rather, to verse number 10. Woman, where are those uh, thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, verse 11, no man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee? Neither do I condemn thee. Let me make sure that you understand this. The only one qualified to condemn her refused to do so. 
the only one who, who could literally have the, the spiritual ability to pick up the rock and begin the execution doesn't deal with her in that capacity. He deals with her in grace. She came condemned. She left crowned. She came an adulteress, but left a new creature. Let me pause a moment and say to everybody in the building, that's the very thing Jesus specializes in today. 2,000 years later, and honey, he's still changing lives. One of my, I shared this at the watch night service, and I hope no one in the choir will mind me saying this. I think, in fact, you'll shout about it. But one of my favorite things to do every once in a while is back up and just spread my eye across the choir. Why, preacher? Because when I look up there, uh, I see, uh, as Paul said, fornicators, adulterers, drug addicts, alcoholics. But as Paul said like this, such were some of you. I stand back in the choir and I'm reminded uh, that you can be a drug addict and God can make you a deacon. (laughs) I'm reminded that you can be a fornicator and adulterer, but God can clean your life up and make you a Sunday school teacher. I'm reminded that you can of the worst and God can save you and give you a position in the church he still takes us out of the mire and puts us in the choir he forgave her he faced her he forgave her but let's be clear he also forbade her because his last statement to her wasn't just neither do I condemn thee but he goes on to say something very very important go and sin no more go and sin no more why is that so important pastor because it's a reminder to all of us that when Jesus does save us he doesn't save us to end up back in the same hog pen that he saved us out of He doesn't save us uh, so that we can end up uh, back in the muck and the mire that he brought us out of. He saved us uh, to give us life uh, and joy uh, and abundant grace and a bountiful blessed life. He says, go and sin no more. It doesn't mean that we sugarcoat sin. In fact, I shared in my Bible study Sunday school class this morning. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, And I shared with them as we looked at the Beatitudes uh, that one of the great tragedies uh, of the church today, in my opinion, is that we've lost our brokenness over sin. Sin doesn't seem to bother society anymore. God help us. But even more tragic, it doesn't seem to bother the church anymore. Jesus says to this lady, And to everybody that's a part of the bride of Christ, he says, go and sin no more. May I close this morning and say this. When Jesus says that we are a brand new creature, he says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I had a pastor friend say it like this. People accuse us Baptists of saying we're saved and we can live any way we want to. That's true. Because when we get saved, we get a new want to. Because when we get saved, he doesn't just give us a 
home in heaven, but he gives us a brand new want to. So, yeah, I'm living any way I want to, and I want to please him, and I want to live for him, and I want to do right, and I want to act right, and I want to go and sin no more. May I close this morning by saying, I believe this lady who was thrust at the feet of Jesus, a sinner, stood up with her head held high, her shoulders squared, and started a brand new journey, all because she met Jesus. Stand to your feet with me this morning. I so appreciate your kind attention. I've got two important questions I want to ask you today before we're dismissed. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. You do me that favor with no one looking. If you're here today and you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that like this woman, you've been forgiven. You're a blood-bought child of the King and you're not ashamed of it. Would you just give God the glory and lift your hand up today? Amen. Thank you so much. You can put them down. Now, there's no one looking. There are a couple of folks who did not raise your hand. And I'm going to ask you in the stillness of this moment, if you feel the Spirit of God convicting you, you know that you're not saved. If you breathed your last breath right now, heaven would not be your home. You want me to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up right now, Pastor, pray for me. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your honesty. Anyone else this morning, Pastor? I feel the Spirit convicting me. I need to be saved. Is there anyone else today? Second question now. Saved person, you're here today, but you're still struggling with issues of sin in your life. Things that you know you're dealing with. You know you need to get those right. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to join me right now at this altar. Would you just make your way? Come on. There are folks moving all over. Preacher, if I come now, somebody will know. Who cares? Who cares? Things that you know you need to work on. Would you come right now? Brother Ken's going to sing us a verse. If you raised your hand that you need to be saved, I implore you to step out. But if you raised your hand, you need some spiritual help would you step out now as well Ken sing for us buddy just as I
bow your heads with us this morning. We've got one being led to the Lord here at the front. And that's God's business. Father, thank you, Lord, for how you're working in our midst today. Lord, thank you for the movement of the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord, for the conviction that still falls even today and reminds us of our need of salvation. Lord, I thank you so much for sending the Spirit to do the convicting work that only the Spirit of God can do. Lord, I pray that you bless now as we continue the invitation. In Christ's name, Brother Ken, sing us one more verse if you need to come. Just as Krista, raise your hand, sweetheart. How many of you glad Krista got saved this morning? How many are going to be praying for her? Amen. Bless your heart, Krista. Praise the Lord. Don't forget now, we have our homegoing service today at 2 o'clock. Choir will be singing. Uh, uh, if you could be up here by 145, choir, and please pray for the family. Brother Ken, dismiss us in prayer. Uh, fellowship with each other. Brother Ken. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the services today. And Father, thank you, God, how you touched our pastor's heart. Father, the message you brought through him today, Lord. God, still thankful, Lord, you're still in the saving business. And Father, thank you for this one. Trusted you as Savior today. Father, thank you, Lord, for your presence to be here. And God, we just thank you so much for our church family. God, for this place we're able to assemble and worship in. And Lord, we want to praise you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ. What he done for us on the cross of Calvary, Lord, and that precious blood. God, that he poured out over Calvary, God, to forgive us of all our sins. Father, we thank you for that. Lord, we just pray, God, you be with the services this afternoon with the Ratliff family, Lord. May you wrap your arms around them and love on them. And, God, just give them that sweet peace of comfort, Lord, that only you can give. Father, I thank you, Lord, and just pray, God, that you just be with the rest of the church family, God, as we go our separate ways. Father, keep us all safe, Lord. Just um, looking for you again this afternoon. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.